America, other Western nations, and the rest of the free world face our biggest challenge since World War II. War has never left America. This is an unforgettable reality since World War II, with hundreds of thousands of young American troops forever lost on foreign soil. The Korean War, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. The fallen never made their way back. But America's sorrows have just begun. It's 2022, the world has entered a post-pandemic era. Much has been said about the way COVID-19 has already changed our lives. This global pandemic has wreaked havoc on America and the world. We're now trying to get our lives back to normal. But ahead of us, warnings. Anger, frustration, outrage growing in Shanghai in China, a city of 25 million people been locked up in their homes. We saw the aftermath of this global pandemic. It was like a post-apocalyptic scene. And with the virus making a comeback to China, the chaos, the violence, renewed. This time, it's not just the surge in COVID. Disasters, both natural and man-made, are ravaging the country. Two years ago, our investigative team at the Epic Times made the documentary tracking down the origins of the Wuhan coronavirus. It was a runaway hit, garnering close to 100 million views. In the film, we exposed two key issues. The Chinese Communist regime covered up the science of the origins of the pandemic. 
The research conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology also proves suspicious. So do its lax biosafety measures. The film was immediately censored by Facebook's alleged fact-checkers. Weirdly enough, the first fact-checker was a former employee at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But how long will the truth stay hidden? Over the past two years, the Wuhan lab has come under scrutiny as more and more problems at the lab, including what we reported, continue to be exposed. No, the lab leak hypothesis does require investigation. China has engaged systematic cover-up. Seeing these facts come to light, I still have too many questions unanswered. What game is Beijing playing in the Taiwan Strait? With China supporting Russia and the Taliban, what does it want in return? At the height of these global crises, why is the CCP expanding its military and aggressively preparing for war? Why would the regime's top think tanks repeatedly mention the Third World War in public? Is this just a global public health crisis? When it comes to the CCP, the probe into how the pandemic began is just the tip of the iceberg. With the help of many CCP insiders, our investigation uncovered a shocking truth behind the origins of the coronavirus. The story goes back to the beginning of the Chinese Communist Party and its 100-year plot against the U.S. What comes is a chilling realization. The Chinese Communist leadership has consistently advanced its agenda and today, it is no longer far from achieving its ultimate goal. What would this look like for America? If the CCP wants the death of America, where we are strangers to our own destiny. The American people are standing on the edge of a cliff. I'm a father. Like every dad, I want to see my kids grow and prosper and I'm afraid for their future. I want to alert the world to China's stealth war. It's a terrifying message. If you remember back in World War II, there was an evil axis with Nazi Germany and other evil countries. Well, there's an evil axis today. You've got the Chinese Communist Party. You've got Russia. You've got Iran. You've got North Korea. They're selling each other military equipment, military espionage, military training, military this, military exercises, intelligence, and so on. So they're allied to where it makes sense for them. As long as it serves to defeat the free world, they're in. Superpower war would be a type of conflict we haven't seen since the Second World War. Should President Biden confront the aggressive actions of Beijing? Chinese military has become noticeably more aggressive. How volatile does that make the region? The world has become a much different place after the pandemic. 
we find ourselves caught in the shifting sands of political upheaval, reeling from one geopolitical crisis to the next. Be it the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or the current tensions at the Taiwan Strait, America is scrambling to catch up. At home, life has never gone back to the way it was. Main story this week, as it concerns a topic. With soaring prices and inflation overwhelming the country, it's hard to see hope in the near future, where very livelihoods are now at stake. The question on everyone's mind, are we headed for a recession? Now the United States might react if China were to invade Taiwan. Morning for the United States. Every morning I wake up, I'm worried about the safety and future of my family. What's really set American nerves on the edge is the revelation that these crises in the wake of the pandemic have the CCP written all over it. We've seen the regime's fingerprints all over the place. But what is the plan behind the scenes? What is their ultimate goal? And just how far is the CCP willing to go? The most dangerous area in today's U.S.-China Cold War is this part of the Indo-Pacific, Taiwan, and the South China Sea. A place where the CCP is determined to take over one day. The strategically critical area is also where the U.S.-China conflict is most visibly escalating. Conflicts in this region have only gotten worse with the U.S.-China trade war and especially after the pandemic. To understand the CCP's strategic ambition for the world order, you first have to understand Taiwan and the South China Sea. Taiwan is more than just a U.S. ally. Given its strategic importance to the U.S., what would a Chinese takeover of Taiwan mean to us? Is Taiwan simply about China's domestic affairs, or as the CCP calls it, a reunification issue? China is ramping up its retaliation. China with a warning for the United States. In August 2022, in the wake of Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, the Chinese regime held a major military drill surrounding the island, simulating a blockade. Days after the drills, in Beijing's new white paper titled The Taiwan Question and China's Reunification in the New Era, the regime refused to rule out force in its bid to take over the island. But how? Given its recent drills, Beijing is letting on two scenarios to take over Taiwan in an all-out war, or to blockade the island, forcing its leaders into submission. Xi Jinping right now has the incentives to do something that would take us by surprise. If they need to do so with war, they're going to do that. It has been slow on behalf of Americans to recognize that. We shouldn't view Taiwan as the CCP's ultimate goal, but as the first domino in a quest to reach regional and global dominance. 
If Taiwan falls, it will not be the end, but rather a beginning. The problem is this, the island's location. Taiwan sits at a pivotal point in the first island chain that the U.S. sees as its line of defense to prevent the CCP's naval expansion into the Pacific. If Taiwan is lost to China, it will be much harder for the U.S. to protect other First Island nations, like Japan and South Korea. And U.S. military bases there will also be in peril. What's worse, a Chinese military base in Taiwan could well threaten the second island chain, including Guam. At that time, the security of the Philippines and even Australia would be on the line. But there's another level of strategic threat hitting closer to home. The deep water ports on the east coast of Taiwan. The CCP's ticket to the Pacific. From there, Chinese nuclear submarines could freely enter the Pacific Ocean without being detected by U.S. forces. Every island in the Pacific, Hawaii, and even the U.S. West Coast would be threatened or even raided by a CCP nuclear submarine. I will say uh, they feel more confident. It's all because they sense their time is, has come and they, were, they can afford being more aggressive and the Western democracies couldn't do as much as we want to. In the context of the escalating U.S.-China Cold War, Taiwan is no longer just an issue of cross-strait relations. It has become the front line of the U.S.-China Cold War. The security of Taiwan is the security of Asia. And the security of Asia is related to the security of the world. What is the CCP doing to prepare itself to become the world's dominant power? How serious is the military threat posed by the CCP to the United States? This is a battle most Americans never saw coming. China is increasing its nuclear arsenal at a much faster rate than the U.S. anticipated. There's new concern tonight about China's military capabilities. Bottom line, all this essentially means China is close to being able to launch a nuclear warhead against any other nation without any warning. A recent Pentagon report warns China could have 1,000 nuclear warheads by 2030. Clearly, the Pentagon has been shaken by the advances that the Chinese military has made. Meanwhile, the Chinese regime is developing hypersonic glide missiles. China's apparent hypersonic glide weapons test, in theory, could be capable of carrying a nuclear warhead that the U.S. can't see or defeat. Go into space. U.S. military officials admit that the U.S. lags behind China in its hypersonic weapons. It is very concerning. Uh, I think I saw in some of the newspapers they, they used the term Sputnik moment. I don't know if it's quite a Sputnik moment, but I think it's very close to that. I mean, basically the general saying, we're not ready for this. Mm -hmm. We're not ready for this. It has the potential of changing the, the balance of power between mm -hmm. the United States and China. John Hyten, the number two person in the U.S. military that. and vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, also issued a warning in an interview with CBS. 
Haitin believes the Chinese are developing the capability to launch a surprise nuclear attack on the U.S. Why are they building all of this capability? They look like a first-use weapon. Because of Earth. Control of Earth. This is the most ambitious regime in history. On one side, growing military threats to the U.S. On the other, the CCP strengthening new alliances as the world drifts closer to war. Bloodshed and terror continue. Ukrainians are fleeing by the tens of thousands. Russia's invasion of its neighboring country is bringing out a sea of change in the world order. It's no longer a secret that Russia's relation with the CCP is getting closer than ever. On the eve of Russia's invasion, Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a series of agreements in Beijing, promising cooperation with no limits between the two countries. The Chinese are puppeteers. They're puppeteers of governments. They're puppeteers of Russia. I know that Vladimir wouldn't want to admit to that, but that's exactly what's happening, both indirectly and directly. And ultimately, the result of that is that the CCP has greater sway over a far larger number of governments around the world than the Soviets ever had. The Chinese Communist Party's reason for being is to accumulate power. Every day it must accumulate more power. Its agenda for accumulating that power is to reorder power relationships all around the world so that they all benefit the ability of the Chinese Communist Party to remain in power. Work together to face the risks and challenges facing mankind, realizing win-win cooperation and development together. It's not surprising the Chinese Communist regime has joined forces with Russia. The world is again breaking into two competing blocks. A new axis is on the horizon. But as we saw in the summer of 2021, when Afghanistan fell, we know that Russia is far from the CCP's only ally in its dangerous game. On August 15, 2021, as the world was focused on investigating the virus origins and all eyes were the Chinese regime, an incident suddenly shifted our attention. In Afghanistan, the Taliban terrorist organization took advantage of the withdrawal of U.S. troops and with lightning speed took over the country. In a matter of days, the U.S.-backed Afghan government collapsed. The mass exodus of hundreds of thousands of people. The bloodshed, gunfire, panic and chaos gripped the country. And terror again shook the world. As it stands this hour, Taliban fighters surround the capital, Kabul. The Pentagon now confirms a number of United States troops were killed. The unexpected casualties of U.S. troops and the Taliban's tough stance 
brought us back to September 11th, one of the darkest days in American history. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. America is under attack. Like 20 years ago, the chilling impact of a new crisis is looming over America. What role did the Chinese regime play in this takeover? Some recent interactions between the CCP, the Taliban, and the U.S. may offer some clues. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. On July 8th, the same day that Biden announced the deadline to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, the Taliban made a clear gesture of goodwill to Beijing. Despite their past support for Uyghur militants in Xinjiang, they reassured the CCP that they would not interfere in China's internal affairs. Two days later, on July 28th, in a meeting even more high-profile than the U.S.-China talks, the CCP's foreign minister, Wang Yi, met with the Taliban's de facto leader, Mullah Baradar. The meeting, unprecedented in its publicity, signaled warming ties between the two countries and was seen by many as a gift from Beijing for the Taliban's future legitimacy. Since August, articles whitewashing the Taliban splashed on the front pages of Chinese media and social media. Almost simultaneously, People's Daily published a series of 18 articles attacking the U.S. Xinhua News Agency, CCTV, and other party-controlled media also joined the anti-U.S. chorus. Nothing of this magnitude has been seen in the entire 42 years since the U.S. and China established diplomatic relations. On September 2nd, Taliban spokesman Zabiullah Mujahid told Italian newspaper La Repubblica that, quote, China is our most important partner. Because right now we know that in Kabul, you've got members of the Pakistani Intelligence Service, the ISI, and the People's Republic of China, and they're collecting up U.S. gear moving it across the PAC border, and they're going to export it for exploitation to the PRC. There's another thing. Everybody keeps talking nowadays about the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and Haqqani and ISIS all being different. They're not. The PRC is very powerful. We know that there's connections. Never underestimate the power of blackmail. Why would the CCP insist on siding with terrorists? This question weighed on me. Among Beijing's highest-ranking strategists, Jin Sanrong may hold the key to part of the story. Jin is a professor and vice dean of the School of International Relations at Renmin University in China. He is an expert on U.S. affairs and is considered one of the top strategists who has the most sway over CCP leader Xi Jinping. In July 2016, Jin made a long speech at the U.S.-China Strategic Philosophy Symposium. At the center of his speech was the CCP's agenda against America. Of course, we could have other evil tactics such as furthering the chaos of the world. But the problem with the United States is that it is truly diverse. Among Western countries, the U.S. enjoys the highest degree of democracy. Of course, diversity has one advantage. 
the people have freedom, such as freedom of speech. But it comes with disadvantages too. It's very difficult for the people to come to a consensus. The best scenario for the U.S. is that it has a very clear external enemy. If there are two enemies, the United States will lose its focus. This was the situation before World War II. There were two enemies, one Nazi Germany and the other the Red Scare, the Soviet Union. Because of that, the U.S. started fighting internally, even before the war began. Now, if there were three external enemies for the U.S., you could see how that would be a mess, let alone four. So China's strategic goal is to make sure that the U.S. has four enemies, and one of them must be a terrorist group. Russia is like one, but it's not enough. In Jin's words, the Chinese regime wants to create multiple enemies for America, and in so doing, distract our country and have our hands full. If terrorism is our biggest enemy, the CCP has every reason to raise a tiger against the U.S. According to Vision Times, Chinese dissident and professor Yuan Hongbing revealed that the CCP had set up a camp in western China's Hushi Corridor to train guerrilla terrorists from Iraq and other Middle Eastern countries. Interestingly, the CCP appointed anti-terrorist officials to carry out the training of these terrorists. They only needed to spend 10,000 U.S. dollars on training a guerrilla terrorist like the ones in the Middle East or Iraq. When these fighters return to the Middle East and Iraq, they inflict enormous military and economic losses and drain the national power of the United States. When you understand that, then you understand that all of the anger and really the hurt that has come from the destruction of America must be focused on the Chinese Communist Party and the people that work with the party to help them do that. It was very clear to me that this image that the American media had been portraying, which is that we were competitors with the CCP, was not true. The Communist Party of China is a threat to the United States. It's a threat to every country. It is a threat to the whole notion of civilization. Yes, the Chinese Communist Party has posed a threat, and that threat is a central threat of our times. China could no longer be treated as a regional threat. It's a global threat. Whoever the next president of the United States is, whether it's a second term for Biden or someone else on his side, or a conservative, it's imperative that all Americans, regardless of who they vote for, recognize in those presidential debates, there needs to be violent agreement between the two major candidates for president, that the greatest threat facing the United States is the CCP. They're not a strategic rival. They're not even an adversary. They're an enemy, and they must be defeated. In early 2020, when the virus started spreading from Wuhan, China, our investigation team saw a threat quietly approaching America and its allies. That threat came even earlier than the virus. As we tracked daily news, we saw a Chinese communist regime increasingly and unusually aggressive on multiple fronts. The aggression was military, diplomatic, 
and even reflected in domestic and foreign propaganda. But what rang the alarm bell for us was a concept that kept showing up in Chinese state media and public speeches of the party's high-level think tanks. This idea of World War III. I grew up in a small farming community and I thought I was going to be a farmer. And then when I was a senior in college, I saw this movie, Top Gun. It really inspired me to go fly jets. So I joined the Air Force and I learned to fly the B-52 and the B-2 stealth bomber. During my career, I got to lead the 509th Operations Group that controls all the B-2s in the U.S. Air Force inventory. It was a tremendous honor. During that time, we had unprecedented success. We deployed a brand new communication system. We had successful missions in Libya to stop Libyan Air Force from bombing the Libyan people. These were things that I was tremendously proud of during my career. When I left the White House, I recognized that I needed to tell the story of what I'd learned over the last seven years. So I want to begin by asking uh, General Spaulding about the nature of our competition or conflict with China today. We, we talk about national security so much and it becomes about weapons. It's not about weapons. I had been trained to fly the most expensive, sophisticated warplane in the history of mankind. And yet, I realized that that was not going to protect our country. And that's because that represents a different way of thinking about warfare. Credible threat. Tensions with China could lead to a deadly war. Party knows the benefits of throwing the red meat of nationalism to the crowd. Third World War. This is a new and concerning signal, a threat far more serious to our national security than that posed by the Taliban or even the pandemic. It would be understandable if the phrase is just a metaphor. If the Chinese regime is simply likening the degree of the pandemic's global damage to post-war trauma. But is there more to the story? When the crisis gets turned in favor of the CCP and its grand scheme to wage a new world war? What happens when the Chinese regime in supporting terrorism has its eyes on the US? Are we becoming the target of this third world war? On March 16, 2020, when the pandemic started to take hold in the US and Europe, Liu Hong, Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Chinese magazine Globe, wrote an article titled, From Another Perspective, This is World War III. The article was then forwarded by nearly all Chinese mainstream media. 
Cena, Tencent, Phoenix, NetEase, Shimin Weekly, among others. It's as if an invisible force was directing public opinion to focus on this article. The magazine is headed by Xinhua News Agency. Xinhua is the official channel of the CCP. Its reporting principles serve as guidance for other state outlets. Here's what the article says. War is all-encompassing. Doctors fighting the epidemic is a battle. Guaranteeing supplies is a battle. Home quarantine is also a battle. This is a medical war, a security war, but also a psychological war. Panic will result in the collapse of the Western stock market. At the end of the article, it says, War inevitably changes the world order. World War I and World War II have completely changed the international order and triggered innovations in technology and revolutions in society. The unconventional World War III will, with no doubt, have a similar profound impact on the scientific and technological revolution and the world order. This war concept came up more and more. On August 21st, 2020, Jin Sanrong, a top Chinese Communist Party strategist, made a speech in the Yangtze River Daily. In our international relations circle, we have defined it, the pandemic, as the first unconventional security world war of mankind. It has had a wide impact on the world economy and international politics. We will find that we are in a hundred years of unprecedented changes, in a hundred years of unprecedented opportunities. Everywhere is our opportunity. We should plan and then move. When it's time to strike, we must strike. Di Dongsheng is another strategist for top CCP officials. He unbashedly compared the pandemic to the battle for China's ascension to the center of the world stage. We know that the rise of great powers requires wars. This time it's reasonably China's turn. 100 years is normally a cycle. It's China's turn now. What is certain is that the U.S. has officially lost its global leadership this time. It's not hard to tell from the language of state media and CCP think tanks. World War III isn't just about the pandemic striking humanity. It's about transforming the world order, a reshuffling of the world's dominating powers in a path to global domination. Why does the CCP see this unprecedented global pandemic as an opportunity unseen in a century? What does an unconventional World War III really mean for the U.S. government and for Americans? Are we aware of this unconventional war at play? Are we prepared to deal with the Chinese communist threat? Danger and opportunity exist within the word in Chinese for crisis. For the Chinese Communist Party, the coronavirus was 
an opportunity to begin to learn how to control the world. China has again blamed the U.S. for its performance on pandemic control. The Wuhan virus gave China a good opportunity because it has been a devastating blow to major uh, countries of the world. That could potentially be China's obstacles to its supremacy and domination of the world have been really uh, affected in a very negative way by this uh, Chinese virus. The Chinese Communist Party launched this war against other democratic systems using the public health crisis as a tool, as a weapon. They play this invisible war, this unrestricted warfare to other countries while other people have no idea. They all think the Chinese government dealing with a public health crisis too. They didn't realize they are treated like a military operation. April 2020, the Chinese Communist Party International Department released a letter signed by 230 world communist parties, including the Communist Party USA, by the way. And one of the main themes was, don't blame China, talk about how great China is in solving the problem. We should be so grateful to China. You know, China's socialized healthcare system is so great. They used the COVID to maximize the social and economic damage. And these messages were echoed by politicians here, by the news media here. Dozens of countries are looking to China to rescue them from the COVID-19 pandemic. to the Chinese government and people. When they release the virus to the whole world, they immediately secure a lot of those uh, personal protective gears, right? Those are also some of the key biomedical raw materials. And these actual operations probably started many years ago. This pandemic has really illustrated the vulnerability of the United States. Made in China. It's a phrase that has become an almost daily reminder. Pro-Chinese communist unions were shutting the schools and keeping the businesses shut and exercising their influence on democratic governors and politicians to keep the blue states shut as long as they could. You look where China had the most influence. New York, Washington, California, Oregon and Hawaii and, and Boston, Massachusetts. That's where the Chinese communists have the most influence in America and those were the states that shut down the worst and the longest because the Chinese wanted them shut down. The whole war is actually in war with the Chinese Communist Party because they don't care how many Chinese people die. They don't care how many other people in other countries die. They only care if they can win the battle, they can defeat other political systems, they can win this war. Even if it wasn't a biological weapon to start out with, Xi Jinping turned it into one. The entire strategy of the Chinese Communist Party during the coronavirus has been one, to hype fear of the coronavirus, and to use that fear to create doubt about democratic societies. The coronavirus is not a bio-war program. 
It's an information, it's a political, it's an influence war program. It's about using fear to create division in societies, to make the citizens of that society lose confidence in a democratic system. then the propaganda you're hearing is that the United States is going out, out of business, uh, the free world economy is going out of business. You know, we're the true world leader, we need to be doing this and, and taking over, we're the trusted leader. You can't believe a word that the, the Americans or the Australians or the Canadians and the, or the British say. So it's, you see all this propaganda coming up and this is straight out of the communist playbook. Beijing today announced that it has returned to zero new COVID cases. According to the report titled, America Ranked First, the United States is well deserved to be the world's number one anti-pandemic failure. First thing you need to achieve in your desiring to impose your will on another party is first you have to undermine their convictions and their self-confidence and their own uh, strength of will so that they are then vulnerable and open to new influences. We believe that it is important for the United States to change its own image and to stop advancing its own democracy. That led to the Chinese Communist Party to recalculate the international power balance, which obviously is uh, uh, manifested in Xi Jinping's uh, public pronouncements that somehow there is a trend called Dongsen Xijiang, that is, the East is rising, the West is declining, uh, by which he means that uh, China's time has come and the West is declining. Therefore, they become much more confident, they become much more aggressive, they become much more uh, belligerent. They've spent the last 40 years uh, basically figuring out how to build up the world's dominant military power. They want to be the dominant power because they view the United States and the democracies, including Taiwan, Japan, as the main threat. Yes, we're in World War III now, we just don't know it. And that's the worst possible position you can be in. When you're losing a war and you don't even know you're in it, it's hard to get worse than that. The goal and the objective uh, for this World War III scenario for the Chinese Communist Party is to defeat the democratic system proving to the Chinese population, proving to the world that the China model works. The authoritarian communist style dictatorship work better than uh, democratic systems. And we are in a world war with the Chinese Communist Party without realizing it. Taliban, the pandemic, global dominance the footprints of the Chinese communist regime's hidden agenda. 
As our investigation unfolds, a person close to the CCP's founder let us in on a secret. Since the very beginning of 1949, when the Communist Party took power, the CCP has been plotting to ultimately defeat the United States and dominate the world. In late 2014, when I was at the Pentagon, I received an email from a colleague who I'd met in New York City. In the email was a presentation developed by one of the top five audit firms. This presentation really showed a number of ways the Chinese Communist Party was attacking companies. I didn't stop feeling, you know, affection for the Chinese people or China, but I began to ask a question about the Chinese Communist Party because before that I had never really studied the party. And so I started to read everything I could. And as I read about the Chinese Communist Party constitution, about unrestricted warfare, about document number nine, about the Tiananmen Papers, about the Xinjiang Papers later that came out, I began to understand the Chinese Communist Party is separate and distinct from China and the Chinese people. And most importantly, it represents a grave danger to the American people. It was two years in the making. The United States and China have entered a deep downward spiral. Where did it all begin? If you go by the mainstream media, it was Xi Jinping and Trump who plunged relations to their lowest point. Was it really so? On the China side, are the CCP's recent aggressions a product of Xi's personality or part of a larger scheme? What is the Chinese regime's long-term strategy towards the United States? What's the root cause of this US-China standoff? We have to get to the bottom of this. With the CCP insiders, we tracked down what really happened between the U.S. and China over the past decades. The rise and fall of U.S.-China relations. We need to know what's happening in your neck of the woods when it comes to the CCP. Behind this history, the Chinese Communist regime's 100-year agenda to defeat America. The Epic Times investigation team had studied the CCP for years. We thought we knew it inside out. But this time, what we uncovered was yielding evidence beyond our imagination. It would topple the entire knowledge system we had built around it, and most certainly shake the American people to the core. Our investigation begins from a confidant of Mao Zedong, founder of the Chinese Communist regime. Li Ray, born in 1917, was Mao's personal secretary in the 1950s. 
He was among the few more right-leaning communist revolutionaries. Lee was thrown into prison by his party and spent eight years behind bars for his mild criticisms of the regime. Lee's diary and meeting notes, currently held by the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, provide a rare peek into the discussions at key moments in CCP history. The meeting notes start from 1948, about a year before the Communist Party established its regime in mainland China. Lee passed away in 2019. His daughter, Li Nanyang, who helped transcribe and annotate Lee's writings, sat down with us. How would you explain this to people? After my father passed away, I started to organize his uh, meeting minutes. They always had the political study. That's a routine uh, inside of the CCP. And the high rank uh, officer always came over to talk about something. And my father uh, just recorded all this talk. And in this talk, I remembered uh, one uh, was from Yang Shangkun. Yang Shangkun, one of the most powerful early members of the CCP, fought for decades alongside Mao to create the regime. Yang directly oversaw the most important Communist Party affairs for two decades. In 1948, he was the party's top military leader. He said, sooner or later we will liberate the entire China. Okay, and the next goal, we are going to defeat America. We work together with Soviet Union. We become really strong. We have enough power to defeat the American and the West world and to liberate the entire world eventually. So I was really shocked even before they seized the power of China. They had such dream. When I tapped in, I, I thought it was a joke. I never thought it could become true now. I was really when I read What Lee told us was shocking. It's hard to believe the CCP had such huge ambitions back in 1948. After all, the party was struggling to survive a civil war with the nationalists. It hadn't yet even taken over China. But after trolling through the CCP's internal policy records, we found that early on, when Mao first founded the communist regime, the party had laid down two basic strategic principles towards the United States. First, the United States is the ultimate enemy of the CCP. And defeating the United States is the only way for the party to achieve global domination. Second, defeating the United States is a long-term process and a protracted war. These strategic principles were hidden from the public, but we managed to find their traces in the internal party meeting records, policy documents, and Mao Zedong's own words. They were leading directly to this ultimate goal. In 1949, the year the CCP seized power in China, Lu Dingyi, 
then head of the central CCP propaganda department, wrote in an article, The day will come when all mankind will sing a song of triumph over the American imperialists. That's a fact-based scientific prediction. In Castaway Illusions, Prepare for Struggle. Mao says the slogan, Prepare for Struggle, is addressed to those who still cherish certain illusions about the relations between China and the imperialist countries, especially between China and the United States. In U.S. Imperialism is a Paper Tiger, Mao says, when we say U.S. imperialism is a paper tiger, we are speaking in terms of strategy, and this tiger must die. We must continue to wage struggle against it, fight it with all our might, and that takes time. The 100-year goal that the CCP has to become the world's leader, which of course starts with dominating the United States, is accelerating. So it's really important for Americans in particular to understand this is the plan. It has been being executed by the CCP for decades, and well-intentioned American presidents and other leaders have been duped by that. It is terrible that the CCP has gotten so far along in this 100-year plan, but they've gotten really close to succeeding. The agenda of the CCP, you have to understand, is the long game. They don't care if it takes 50 or 100 years to turn the world 100% communist under their control. So exactly when and how did the CCP's long game start? We need to go back to before the party was even ruling China. How jubilant was the taste of victory? The year was 1945. The world was celebrating the end of the Second World War. In China, the public was having warm feelings towards the United States like never before. In the hearts of the Chinese people, Americans fought for them. To the aid of China came volunteers from other lands. The memory was still fresh of a small group of American volunteer aviators, known as the Flying Tigers, who plummeted Japanese bombers to the earth in flames. Hope to ride to world conquest on the back of the giant Chinese world. Though outnumbered by the Japanese, the Tigers never lost a single battle. During China's darkest moments in the war against the Japanese, these pilots were a symbol of heroism. As Time magazine wrote, Flying Tigers swooped, let the Japanese have it. The CCP, relying on the U.S. to be the peacemaker between the party and the ruling nationalists, spared no effort to take advantage of the pro-American sentiment, and in doing so, prevented its own destruction. On July 3, 1943, the day before America's Independence Day, CCP mouthpiece Xinhua Daily published an editorial in a tone that would shock most communists today. Since a young age, we have thought of the U.S. as a lovable country. The Chinese people hold good impressions of the U.S. based on the democratic and open-minded character of its people. Just a few years later, 
Chinese communist soldiers were killing American troops in the Korean War. It was June 1950. The CCP, having taken over mainland China, painted Americans as the most evil imperialists in the world. To eliminate pro-U.S. sentiment in China after World War II, the Communist Party launched a massive propaganda campaign, teaching the Chinese people to, quote, hate, despise, and look down on the United States. America went from a democratic, civilized, and friendly nation to the world's most counter-revolutionary, barbaric, and aggressive imperialist country, and the sworn enemy of the Chinese people. In less than a decade, the CCP waged another war against the U.S., this time through an agent, the Vietnam War, a bad dream for America that never goes away. Americans remember the anti-war campaign, but who was on the other side of the Vietnam War? The Vietnamese were just cannon fodder, and the Chinese Communist Party encouraged and supported the war. It was Mao Zedong who took 60% of China's revenue and forced the northern Vietnamese to fight the southern Vietnamese. And for what? To defeat American imperialism. the Chinese regime's long drawn out plans against America, an ultimate plan for world domination. This is nothing new to the US intelligence community. In his 2014 book, The Hundred Year Marathon, former US Defense Department senior official, Michael Pillsbury, revealed the following stories. In 1964, Soviet KGB spy Yuri Nisenko defected to the United States, bringing with him some of the most important intelligence about China. He reported that Mao sought dominance, not only of the international communist system, but also the entire world order. The real story was when I was 24 years old at the United Nations headquarters in the Secretariat, what the Russians there told me confirmed what Nosenko has said, but they went even further. They said China has a grand plan that first they've squeezed the Soviet Union of everything they could get in terms of technology and investment, factories and so forth. Now they're going to switch over to you Americans, but at the time nobody believed this uh, Russian warning. In 1969, 24-year-old Pillsbury was working as an intelligence officer for the U.S. government. He was able to get access to thousands of pages of internal documents from the Soviet Union. The Soviet view of China in their internal secret documents, the American government got onto only because of a high-level spy who had a Minox camera and took 10,000 pages of photos, which the CIA assembled into a series of documents. 
in that material was a lot of description of Chinese ambitions and goals. In 1969, the judgment was again confirmed personally to Pillsbury by Arkady Shevchenko, a then Soviet Union official stationed in the United Nations. Shevchenko later became the highest ranking Soviet diplomat to defect to the United States. He told Pillsbury the Soviet leadership hated and feared the Chinese, believing that China was planning to take control of the communist world and eventually assert global dominance. The Chinese Communist Party, by its nature, was pro-communist, pro-Stalinist, and pro-Soviet. But Mao Zedong wanted more than that. He had huge ambitions to dominate the world and to be the leader of the world communist system. And he fell out with the Soviet Union when fighting for that leadership. After the battle, Soviet Russians considered launching nuclear strikes on major Chinese cities, including Beijing. Mao, by that time, through the ping-pong uh, diplomatic uh, policy, and opened the door to reach their hand to the American. And the American people thought, oh, and then Mao now want to be a friend. Beijing's olive branch to the United States was unprecedented. And it came at a good time. The U.S. government was busy containing threats in the Soviet Union. In comparison, threats from communist China seemed trivial. Upon learning a deep division was forming between the Soviets and the Chinese regime, the U.S. did not hesitate to send then-National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger on a secret trip to China. We seek an open world, a world in which no people, great or small, will live in angry isolation. Soon after, in 1972, President Nixon went on an official visit to China. His visit would fundamentally change the world order, where the United States and China became allies against the Soviet Union. We have unlocked the doors that for a quarter of a century stood between the United States and the People's Republic of China. And five years later, January 1st, 1979, the U.S. established diplomatic relations with the Chinese Communist regime. What Nixon did not realize was that he was setting the stage for a profound crisis one that could threaten the very foundations of America. The U.S. helped the CCP, and U.S. saved the CCP. At that time, Nixon made the decision to say that if the Soviet Union attacked China, the U.S. would have to step in and attack the Soviet Union. 
the Soviet Union was forced to pull back. Then Mao Zedong realized that if he didn't ally with the U.S., he couldn't survive. He would be dead. So he was forced to be more pro-America. That's not the same as saying that he loved America in his heart, loved democracy. There was no such thing. The China card got the CCP what it wanted, a helping hand from the U.S. The only question is, would it stop Chinese leaders from seeing America as the ultimate enemy? That didn't happen. As Kissinger and Nixon were shaking hands with Mao Zedong, behind the scenes, the communist regime had a well-thought-out plan. Chinese-American author Jian Ying Jia recalled in an article, the party meticulously tuned down the anti-U.S. propaganda during Nixon's week-long visit. But right after his departure, and even before Nixon's delegates had left China, CCTV was already airing anti-U.S. operas. Sifting through massive documents, we realized one thing. Be it Mao or successors to come, the CCP's hundred-year agenda has not changed since day one. To defeat the United States, become the world's top superpower, and establish a new world order dominated by the CCP by the 100th anniversary of the founding of the regime. Among the leaders after Mao, one man was arguably the most deceitful, Deng Xiaoping. After Mao died, Cultural Revolution finished in China, economy just at the edge. Then Deng Xiaoping needs something to save the CCP. He decided to open the door economically and open the door to the West country. And he visited the U.S. and by his cowboy's hat. And the people just thought he was different from them all. Chinese leave today with their memories and perhaps a new image for communist China's leading man. For Deng Xiaoping not only went west, but went western. In response to U.S. journalists, this is how Deng phrased U.S.-China relations. China is not important to the world because China is still very poor and has limited power. If we want to confront the Soviet Union, we have to depend on the United States. Deng's foreign policy in a nutshell, hide your strength and bide your time. For the American public, what they saw was an honest, low-key and practical leader a man who seemed to care more about the economy than political games. 
U.S. policymakers were thrilled at the idea that one day China would become a free market economy, or even better, a liberal democracy. America started sharing valuable resources with China. Technology, investment, education, military goods, and even intelligence. In the case of the media, from 1976 to 1997, when Deng passed away, he was featured at least seven times on the cover of Time magazine, fueled by America's excitement for this new Chinese leader. But America had no idea what it was about to encounter. On the surface, Deng did recognize the United States as the world's dominant power. Yet behind the veil of friendliness lied the CCP's staunch hostility, the rejection of American freedom from the very beginning. Anti-American propaganda was tuned down in China, but it never went away. Deng Xiaoping made it very, very clear. We would never follow the American way. No constitutional system, no political reform. For almost 20 years, the United States and China maintained a sort of peace, at least on the surface. That changed overnight with gunshots before dawn on June 4, 1989, a day that shocked the world. A brutal massacre of Chinese students. The world is a much different place tonight. For the CCP, the Tiananmen Square massacre came at a heavy cost. It upended the honeymoon illusion that Deng had painstakingly weaved and U.S.-China relations for the next decade would enter the Ice Age. I now call on the Chinese leadership publicly to avoid violence. It will not be the same under a brutal and repressive regime. Yet history came with another surprise. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The Berlin Wall collapsed. Eastern Europe abandoned communism. The Soviet Union fell. The International Communist Coalition on the Verge of Disintegration. In the eyes of the free world, the fall of communism was inevitable. But Deng Xiaoping saw something else. For him, the Soviet Union didn't fall apart because of the communist system. It fell apart because of foreign adversaries. Only person was different from them he believed that China should change the communist system. That was Joseph. Only himself believed fundamentally wrong. The CCP was fundamentally wrong. The year was 2000. Deng's successor, Jiang Zemin, was setting off for his first official visit to the United States. This is his interview with CBS 60 Minutes, right before the trip. I'm convinced that this interview 
were be further promoting the friendship and the mutual understanding between our two peoples. You admire America. That's right. Jiang isn't just a successor of Deng, but also of his strategic principle, hiding your strength and biding your time. Be it the economy, technology, or international status, the Chinese regime once again needed the U.S. to give it a hand. During his visit, Jiang was as flattering as a communist could possibly be to America. But his smiles came with a warning. Behind America's back, Jiang fiercely attacked those who sought democratic reforms in China and fanned up anti-U.S. sentiment across the country. In a society where large-scale protests are heavily regulated even today, how were the protests against America so widespread and well-publicized? The sentiments became most prominent in the wake of a tragic event. September 11th, 2001. It's down. It's down. It's down. when the American people were grieving their loss. Some Chinese netizens, brainwashed by the party, cheered for America's suffering. So, is Jiang Zemin pro-America or anti-America? The documents we uncovered revealed one of the party's most closely guarded secrets on how Jiang came to power. In the aftermath of the Tiananmen Square massacre, Deng, worried he would eventually pay for his killings, laid his eyes on Jiang as a successor. The reason? Jiang was among those who had ordered the troops to open fire. As the biggest political beneficiary of the massacre, Jiang pushed China to its darkest era of human rights. He also embodied the dual nature of Beijing's foreign policy to its fullest extent, appearing pro-American on the outside and anti-American on the inside. But America once again overlooked the CCP's ambition. I believe that the United States and China can accomplish a lot when we work together to fight terrorism. The same year, Jiang ratcheted up the budget to purchase Russian weapons. A 2021 report from the Congressional Research Service found that in 2001, Russian arms exports to China exceeded $2.5 billion. That accounts for half of all Russian arms exports. China became the world's largest arms importer. Why did Jiang put so much effort into developing the Chinese military? In a 2004 congressional hearing, University of Pennsylvania professor and China expert Arthur Waldron warned lawmakers. 
the new Chinese military is the only one being developed anywhere in the world today that is specifically configured to fight the United States of America. Jiang wasn't just using Chinese troops. He was building a global alliance against the United States, exporting advanced weapons to other authoritarian regimes and terrorist groups. In 2001, he established the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, a regional alliance directly aimed to counter the U.S.-led NATO. China started exporting increasing amounts of missile technology to Iran. And the Iranians began trading that with the North Koreans. Then there was the direct export of missile technology to Pakistan, uh, enabling the Pakistanis to make a family of uh, solid fuel ballistic missiles from artillery rockets to intermediate range ballistic missiles. All of that technology is traded between the North Koreans, the uh, Pakistanis, and, and the Iranians. It's all Chinese technology. The Chinese regime's plan stretched even further. During Jiang's term, an online survey led by the Chinese military shocked the world. It began with Shi Haotian, the Chinese operational commander who directed the murder of protesters during the Tiananmen Massacre. Shi served as vice chairman of the CCP's Central Military Commission and defense minister. In 2004, after he had just left office, Shi commissioned Chinese media Sina to conduct an online survey. In it, one question went, if you were a soldier, would you open fire on women, children, and prisoners of war with the permission of your superiors? 34% of the respondents chose, I would shoot under any circumstances. Another 48.6% chose, I would shoot only if my life or the lives of my fellow soldiers were in danger. Only 3.8% would not shoot women, children, and prisoners of war under any circumstances. Why would the Chinese military conduct a survey like this? In an internal speech in 2005, Chi Tian gave the answer. In short, our online survey is to find out whether the people would rise against us if one day we decide to get our hands dirty and secretly clean up America. Will the people be more for or against it? Our basic judgment is that if the people are in favor of opening fire on women and children, they'll be in favor of cleaning up the United States. Due to overwhelming social pushback, however, the Communist Party quickly removed information about the survey from the internet. I had a friend. We were the same generation. And went back to China, we had dinner together. And she asked me, why you American always want to defeat us? I said, no, no such thing. America never tried to uh, destroy China. There's no such thing. 
She said, no, you are brainwashed by the American government. So I just realized, because we live in the different worlds, In a world like communist China in the 2000s, military buildup and anti-American sentiment raged on, even during the term of Jiang's successor. As mild-mannered as Hu Jintao seems, the smell of gunpowder was still in the air. It may be hard for us in the free world to believe, but a regime change in the communist playbook is hardly ever a real transfer of power. During his 10 years as the CCP's top leader, who was just a puppet of the old guard, and the CCP's hatred towards America remained hidden in plain sight. Things started to change in 2012, when Xi Jinping took power. For the first time in almost 30 years, the party altered the face of its anti-US strategy. It was 2010, when China surpassed Japan to become the world's second largest economy. On the other side of the world, the United States was still recovering from the storm of the 2008 financial crisis. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. The speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. Month-to-month -month drop in existing home sales since they started keeping track in the late 90s. The economic power balance between China and the United States was changing. The U.S. is going downhill and China is going to replace it. Narratives like this started to make headlines in Chinese state media, even making their way into Western mainstream media and scholarly works. The CCP has entered a new stage to challenge the existing world order. Beijing realized it was time to phase out the old strategy. There was no need for hiding your strength and biding your time anymore. Instead, we're starting to hear phrases like, realize the Chinese dream, the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, and building a community of shared human destiny. But do we really understand the true meaning behind the China dream? and the great revival of China. You have to understand the propaganda skill of the CCP. Actually, behind the dream is the CCP's agenda. What is the so-called Chinese dream? Is it the dream of China, this country, or the dream of the CCP? It is, of course, not the dream of this country. because the country means its population. It's simply the dream of CCP, covered with the flag of China. Chinese Supreme Leader Xi Jinping has declared uh, that China is seeking the China dream. I call it the China nightmare. This is a vision of China dominating the world. This is the opening of Silent Contest, 
a propaganda film produced by the CCP's People's Liberation Army in 2013. The message was shocking. China's great ascension will always go hand in hand with our fight against American hegemony. This is a 100-year battle that won't be swayed by human will. But there were new warning signs ahead. In 2015, Xi Jinping proposed the Belt and Road Initiative, building infrastructure for developing countries across continents in exchange for influence and control over them. Meanwhile, Beijing started to expand its military presence around the world, openly compete with the U.S. on the technological front. Develop central bank-backed digital currency to vanquish U.S. financial control. First major economy to create its own digital currency. What is Beijing's endgame? As well as take over international organizations one vote at a time. The regime was many steps into its goal of expansion until Trump's trade war. Game on here. A trade war between the United States and China is here. It's real at the stroke of midnight. China is imposing new tariffs on U.S. goods today after President Trump put tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. What happened in 2018 was the first major setback the CCP met on its way. It also officially marked an end to the strategic partnership of U.S.-China relations. The CCP's so-called economic miracle was much indebted to U.S. investment and assistance. But it didn't hesitate to openly fall out with America in the trade war. Was the clash purely the result of trade disputes, or was there something deeper? The CCP's path of economic development is not a normal one, and it is not a normal one that is willing to accomplish its development through normal competition. For example, the world's intellectual property industry stipulates that you cannot steal the intellectual property of other countries, and the CCP is thinking, if I don't steal property rights, I can't develop. If you don't let me steal, I should rob. Not just technologies, but also resources. The Chinese economy is now highly dependent on external resources. It knows very well that there is only one way, hegemony. And the first obstacle to hegemony in this era is the United States. America and the free world are at an inflection point. China's stealth war is now entering its third decade. Its goal of becoming the dominant power by 2049, 100 years after the Chinese Communist Party took control of China, is within shooting distance. America and the global economy have been complicit, sometimes unknowingly, in the rise of power of the Chinese Communist Party. The good news is that now with Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party is no longer hiding in plain sight.
也绝不允许任何外来势力欺负、压迫、奴役我们。谁妄想这样干，必将在十四多亿中国人民用血肉铸成的钢铁长城面前碰得头破血流。当今世界。正经历百年未有之大变局，突如其来的新冠肺炎疫情，对全世界是一次严峻考验。Great changes unseen in a century, a slogan that Xi Jinping first coined in 2017 became a political buzzword in the CCP, especially in 2020. For the communist regime. The timing of how the global pandemic began wouldn't have been more perfect. It was a devastating blow to the entire world. We've all witnessed how the CCP turned the initial cover-up of the virus in its favor, a chance to weaken the free world that had always prevailed, and to set off a World War III to reset the world order. On July 1st, 2021. When the CCP celebrated the 100 years of its founding, the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation was mentioned 21 times. There was no mention of who the foreign enemy is, but it's no longer a secret. The party's anniversaries are usually coupled with the release of jingoistic war epics. This time, the party chose to focus on the only war. The Chinese troops fought head to head with American soldiers, the Korean War. In it, well-equipped but overly confident U.S. troops were portrayed as aggressors who suffered defeat by heroic Chinese Communist Party soldiers who survived on raw potatoes. In the post-pandemic age, the CCP's plot against the United States has become an open book. America is not a national force. I want to say to you, you have no right to say that you are from China to talk to China. Yet for those of us living in America, there is more to the story than we were capable of seeing before. China's foreign ministry has been accusing the U.S. of increasing tensions with Russia and hyping up the possibility of war. What is causing the fundamental division between the U.S. and China? Why have party leaders been so consistent in carrying out this century-old agenda? Why advocate for America's demise? Remember, the United States. Has been the economic engine for the world economy for the past 70 years. So they want to take that over and to control that for the the benefit of the Communist Party. America is the only force on the planet that can bring them down. They know that if they're going to be victorious, they have to destroy the shining example of liberty on this planet. The only country that confront them can confront them spiritually, philosophically, economically, militarily. The only opposition they really have. They often refer to warring states, 
and the tactics of the warring states period. And one of those tactics was a kind of uh, win or lose, I win you lose, zero sum game. Only one country got to lead the world. And that country had to destroy the others or set them against each other or undermine them, steal their technology, their variety of techniques that were used. One thing has never changed about the Chinese Communist Party, from Mao to Xi Jinping. There's not a single one who didn't stress that he is a member of the Communist Party. What is a Communist Party? The Communist Party is a political force that wants to overthrow the existing order of the world, to take over the world, to control the world. Therefore, as long as it is a Communist Party, no matter how many leaders it changes, it will not change its nature. Fundamentally, there's a, there's a, a problem if, with, with communist ideology is that uh, it, it views everything else as a rival. Uh, there is a, a xenophobia about global dominance, and if there's going to be global dominance, it can only be by one power. So the United States should never dream of being a so-called friend friendly relationship. There's no way to reach that because in front of you, in front of the United States, it's a tiger. He wants to eat you. Like myself, Americans are witnessing how an old friend of nearly 50 years tore off its mask and finally revealed the face of a cold-blooded killer. We cannot help but ask, what did the U.S. government get wrong about the Chinese Communist Party? How did U.S. policy fail? What price must we pay for this failure? And how exactly did the CCP do it? How did they deceive the sky? One of the reasons that I understood what the Chinese Communist Party was doing was because the way that the B-2 goes to war is very similar. The B-2 is not invisible. In fact, it can be seen by radar. But it's very difficult to see when there's other things that are out there. And so, in many ways, it's deceptive. The Chinese Communist Party's method of warfare is right there in plain sight. In fact, many times they'll tell you exactly what they're doing. But often we're distracted and deceived. The deception of the CCP is monumental. I mean, I, not that I think I'm the greatest person, but I have a PhD in American history, I've taught history, I've taught the relationship diplomatically between the CCP and the United States. I lead perhaps the largest think tank in the world, right of center. And I was deceived. So I, I say that for people to understand it's okay for you to admit that you were deceived by this because it comes from what I believe is the inherent goodness of Americans to give every people on earth, regardless of who they are, what they look like, the benefit of the doubt. And, and what I'm saying is that deception has been laid bare.
the past 200 years, America has been the beacon of freedom. It lights the way for those seeking human rights and freedom of faith. But we were kept in the dark while his beacon was being severely eroded and sabotaged. And for half a century, America was looking the other way. Why are Americans completely unaware of the CCP's plot after more than 50 years? What are the timings chosen by the CCP to implement the different stages of its plan? If we want to truly confront the CCP threat, we have to go beneath its overt efforts and see its true colors. China has a, a sort of a, a binary strategy toward the United States. On one hand, um, it strategically uh, has a very stable continuity based upon ideology, based upon the institutional incompatibility of the two countries. So that's very clear to the Chinese uh, core leadership. They always view the United States as the ultimate rival, as the source of the biggest threat to the Chinese regime. That's continuity. There's also changes, there's also vari variations, and that comes to uh, mostly uh, to the point of timing. So at what point China should adopt an offensive position? At what point China uh, uh, could conduct a strategic withdrawal or retreat? That is basically based upon the specific timing and specific circumstances of international situation. To achieve their 100-year goal of defeating America, the CCP has developed a master plan, a plan highly deceptive and complex. They call it Tao Guang Yanghui. In the last several decades, the overall approach was what we call the Tao Guang Yanghui, which basically is uh, hide our strength and bide our time. Let's just develop, get stronger, and, and then timing is not good for us to have a showdown with the United States. Their whole philosophy is based on lying. When they tell you they are weak, that's when you watch out. The phrase, hiding your strength and biding your time, is often attributed to former CCP leader Deng Xiaoping. But in fact, its origin traces back to Mao Zedong. Though overtly belligerent and anti-West on the surface, Mao was carefully laying the groundwork for his plan, hiding his strength and biding his time. We have been here a week. This was the week that changed the world. As we look back over this week, we think of the boundless hospitality that has been extended to all of us by our Chinese friends. With Chairman Mao, with the Prime Minister, and with others with whom we have met, our talks have been characterized by frankness, by honesty, by determination, and above all, by mutual respect.
I think they started out very unfriendly in 1949, and they became much friendlier after 1972. We thought if we are nice to the Chinese Communist Party and nice to the Chinese people, they will regard us as a friend, and we can all be friends in this wonderful multinational universe we're creating. But let me point out to you that Deng Xiaoping and I were not naive or ignorant at that time. So we anticipated that in the future there would be many differences between our two countries. But we also realized, I think accurately, that the things that bind us together for peace and progress are much more important than the things that, uh, that divide us one from another. But do we really know the hidden truth behind the CCP's strategy? What are the specific policies and scams? In 1997, when the CCP took Hong Kong from Britain, it promised to keep the city's open free market system, allowing them a high degree of autonomy. The Communist Party called this policy formula, One Country, Two Systems. For U.S. politicians, Beijing seemed open to embracing democratic values in its proclaimed territory. That's even more so in Taiwan. When Henry Kissinger met Mao at his residence in Beijing in the 70s, Mao made these claims about Taiwan. It's better to have Taiwan under the care of the United States now. I say that we can do without Taiwan for the time being and let it come after 100 years. This was one of the most deceptive promises ever made. We are very concerned uh, by the uh, PRC's provocative military uh, activity near Taiwan. There must be a peaceful resolution that respects the rights of the people of Hong Kong, as outlined in the 1984 Sino-British Twenty nineteen. The world watched in shock the death of Hong Kong's freedom. I would describe now is the collapse of one country two system. This is the end of Hong Kong. This is the end of one country two system. Make no mistake about it.
by now it would be foolish to think communist China could follow the same playbook and deceive the people of Taiwan. However, the free world failed to see through another game the CCP has long played. Reform and opening up. What American corporate, financial, and political elites have found out is that they've been duped. For 30 years, they've been duped. In 1978, the CCP launched economic reforms. Then after 1997, financial and technical aid from the United States and Europe flooded into China. The Chinese regime became an unofficial ally of America. In 2001, with its full support of the Clinton administration, China officially joined the World Trade Organization. The ministerial conference so agrees. the West opened its doors to the CCP, and communist China rose from it, becoming the world's largest manufacturing powerhouse. We allowed them to ascend to the WTO in 2001, uh, a little early. We allowed the Yuan to be part of the, the IMF's uh, SDR way too early but they didn't live up to any of the uh, fundamental listing requirements. When Clinton, the Clinton administration, agreed to let China into the World, World Trade Organization, which surrendered the most favored nation clause that we had been using, uh, there were people who said this is going to be a disaster because you, will let, you have let China in under modified rules. In other words, it doesn't have to behave by the same rules as the other members of the World Trade Organization. And the Clinton administration said, oh, don't worry about it. This is, and this is an exact quote, uh, this will be a poison pill for China. And the exact opposite happened. Instead of ending the trade imbalance, the trade imbalance became much worse, which it continues to be today. In the two decades after joining the World Trade Organization, communist China ushered in a golden age of economic boom, an era where America's manufacturing sector crumbled. No matter where you're doing business around the globe, the factory floor is in China. The fact is that we have been bleeding manufacturing jobs in, in the whole country, we went from almost 20 million jobs back in 2000 to 12.3 million today. How did it happen? What traps did we fall into when dealing with the CCP? And what false hopes were we given? The CCP chose to privatize its companies and to join the WTO. But there's a reason behind it. And that is, nearly all state-owned firms were collapsing. And they were dragging down the banks with them. The CCP had no other choice but to turn all state-owned firms into private companies, and then give the ownership of these companies to the officials.
A set of data we uncovered revealed what the CCP had tried hard to keep from U.S. political elites. These statistics came from an article titled, Saving State-Owned Banks. In July 1997, China's four major state-owned banks were in deep crisis. Bank losses became an open secret. At the end of 1999, the four major state-owned banks had a total of about 3.2 trillion yuan of non-performing loans. The CCP's public ownership of enterprises was a total failure, with the banking system on the verge of collapse. And state-owned firms, tens of millions of employees lost their jobs. In fear of losing power, the Communist Party once again rewrote its history by covering up the failure of the socialist economic system. The CCP branded itself as an open-minded regime willing to abide by the rules of the global market and eventually cheated its way into the U.S. and Western market. At this time, the U.S. thinks, look how great the Chinese Communist Party is. They have already privatized their economic sector. They have already achieved a market economy. So we can let them join the WTO. This is really a socialist system masquerading as a capitalist system. And the reason for that is that all of the Chinese companies that uh, pretend to be independent or semi-private are in fact controlled by the Communist Party of China. You know, so for the last 20 or 30 years, the communist strategy since Deng Xiaoping is to be friendly to America, to invite in American investment, to build up the economy. Let's make money together. Americans not understanding Marxism, not understanding communism, believed that because China was going back to business, that China was inviting foreign investment, they must be abandoning their communist goals. The vast majority of people in the West who study the Chinese economy and Chinese politics have made the same mistake. They believe that the CCP will embrace democracy when it embraces the market economy. We all know that from Deng Xiaoping's Tiananmen crackdown to Jiang Zemin's crackdown on Falun Gong to Xi Jinping's suppression of Hong Kong today and how he deprives freedom of speech and freedom of the press, you can see that the CCP's hostility to freedom and democracy has always been consistent. I read my father's inside report after Deng Xiaoping visited the U.S. Deng Xiaoping made it very clear. The reason we open our door, open our market to the U.S., just we want their money. We want to be a strong country. And then to finally realize our goal in the, the east wind. <laughs> eventually blow off the west wind. The CCP's secret weapon 
Capitalist money is the lifeblood of the communist regime. The CCP gave the world an illusion that it was on its way to capitalism, that it was just following an alternative path to Western capitalism. But in reality, the CCP's market economy is just a means. The end is to save the Communist Party and communism. It has nothing to do with capitalism, much less democracy. The longer we allow the CCP to stay on this track, the greater the threat to the United States. The CCP has the best bait for the world. China's 1.4 billion population and its huge market. For foreign businesses, it was an offer they couldn't refuse. Give us your technology and we allow you into the playground. But what these foreign companies did not expect, in order to operate in China, these companies were required to form joint ventures with local companies and were forced to share their sensitive private technology. Forced technology transfer helped the communist regime build up its own brands. And these brands started to capture and monopolize the domestic market. Next, with the price advantages and state subsidies, the Chinese brands flooded into the international market, directly challenging and squeezing out established international manufacturers. I mean, what they're using right now is basically they're inviting foreign companies in so they can take their money, take their technology, and get rid of them when they at the first opportunity, which is what I think is happening to Tesla right now. It's been very difficult for American businesses. They have been put under onerous restrictions when they operate in China. Oftentimes, they are required to turn over valuable proprietary information as a requirement for doing business in China. They're also restricted from removing money from China, from taking capital out of China. In the past 20 years, America's painstaking effort to help China enter the world stage. Beautiful history we wrote together. To promote democracy and the rule of law inside the country have all been for naught. But the Chinese regime has swallowed up all the benefits. U.S. public and private equity investments in Chinese and Hong Kong domiciled companies totaled by our estimates at Commerce $2.3 trillion in market value holdings at the end of 2020. In December 2001, when China officially joined the World Trade Organization, its GDP was 1.34 trillion, counting for 4% of the world's GDP. 20 years later, in 2021, China's GDP was 17.7 trillion dollars, accounting for 18% of the world's GDP. These figures tell the story of how China's national power came to be. It was all a scam. It was all a lie. It was all designed to get massive American money to weaken American anti-communist resolve 
and to build the Chinese military and Chinese power to the point that they could challenge America. This has been a great deception on the part of the Chinese Communist Party. And that basically China right now uh, has exploited American openness, American friendship, and is ultimately working to bring about the defeat and ultimate destruction of the United States. There's been many movies where character is seen killing an animal, hunting for food. And when they get to the animal, they gently caress the animal and they say, thank you for giving your life so that I can survive. So we are giving of our life's blood so that the Chinese Communist Party can survive and thrive. Throughout its 100-year history, this is how the CCP has survived every existential crisis. To quickly alter its face and to lure the world into one false hope after another. Thanks to Western investment, the Chinese regime is now much stronger than it once was. But instead of pushing for political reforms as it promised, the CCP is using this strength to bite the hand that once fed it. It has begun to unveil the other side of its master plan against the United States. To infiltrate, divide, and subvert American society. So the biggest problem that we have had so far in dealing with China is the fact that China is fully integrated with the Western free market system. So they could take advantage of the open society. And that, to me, is the biggest danger. And this involves every man, woman, and child, and not the military. It is not targeted at the military. It's targeted at families. So we have to become comfortable with the term warfare under our own roofs in our companies, under our own roofs in our homes. We have to all understand we are at war. If you thought the Cold War was bad, just put a thousand X on the Cold War. Now you have unrestricted hybrid warfare. This is a difficult story. Being stationed in China as a diplomat, as somebody that works for their government, and recognizing that the Chinese Communist Party monitors everything that you do. There are cameras and microphones throughout your living spaces. This was especially traumatic for my wife, who struggled with the fact that everything that she did, every second of every day, she was followed in that in that apartment that we lived in. And to this day, she suffers from a sort of PTSD that comes from having lived under a microscope. You know, she would go into a closet and cry, um, shut off the lights and cry in the dark because she knew that she couldn't get away from it. We must stop the Chinese Communist Party's power grab at all costs or prepare to live in a world where you can be arrested for watching this documentary. Americans have never confronted an adversary 
that has engaged in total war to the extent that the CCP has. This is all-out war. Remember, it's we must live. We, the CCP, must live and you must die so you'll never be able to compete again. The Communist Party of China sees this as a battle of the titans and either the American system's gonna win or the Communist Party of China system is gonna win. The American reality of confronting the CCP is the final war because the, the CCP is the greatest threat in human history to freedom. We could wake up some morning and realize this is history's last war. Most Americans are not aware that we are at war with the Chinese communist regime. They also don't realize that if the CCP won this final war, our sacred, unalienable rights and all we hold dear will vanish. But where exactly is the main battlefield of this war? The emphasis I have to make is it's in every living room in the United States and the free world. It's in every classroom. It's in every university. It's an attack on your values. It's an attack on everything. It's not fought with bombs or bullets or nuclear submarines or stealth fighters. It's fought in our homes, in our schools, in our state houses, in our Congress. Well, China has this doctrine of unrestricted warfare, which means they can do anything they want, which means they will use every tool at their disposal. And they are overwhelming the United States. They're overwhelming our government, the FBI, local governments, institutions, businesses. And they're using every point of contact to subvert us. Unrestricted means that the Chinese Communist Party follows no rules. And much like the French, prior to World War II, they built this great wall to keep the Germans out, called the Maginot Line. And the French generals were so sure that this Maginot Line was going to protect them from a German invasion. And in fact, what did the Germans do? They used airplanes and tanks and went right around the Maginot Line, and France collapsed very quickly. So in essence, what I recognized was I was part of an establishment that in many ways represented the modern Maginot Line. And in fact, the vaunted U.S. military had been outflanked and the Chinese Communist Party using the tools of Silicon Valley, the tools of individual influence and data collection and business, economics, financial incentives were eroding the principles that that vaunted establishment was meant to protect. That's what Xi Jinping's Wuwang really means. Through our interviews, the amount and scale of the CCP's infiltration into American society unfolded before us. It far exceeds what a single film can contain. We can only pick a few of the real stories, but they're enough to show how much the CCP has already succeeded in taking over American politics, the economy, and the media. In the Chinese Communist Party context, United Front work activities are the main vehicle for subversion within the United States. They have networks of agents who are directed to influence the media, to influence the government, to influence the business community, to influence the entertainment industry. They've been highly successful at this. 
Economically, the Communist Party of China is buying up American companies. It is a huge influence in Hollywood. It's got a lot of influence in various newspapers and, and digital media in the country. It's very much allied with big tech. Big tech is thrown in with the Communist Party of China and is actively censoring people who want to expose the Communist Party of China's crimes. And it's also buying up and influencing politicians. While I was working at, at the Pentagon, we began to engage some of the think tanks in Washington, D.C. to find out if any of them were willing to do a study to understand how the corporate America was being influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. We talked to a number of the think tanks and finally uh, had one that was willing to do a study. This is probably the top think tank in Washington, D.C. On the eve of them basically beginning the study, the head of the think tank called the donors and said, I've reconsidered this is not for us and we're no longer going to undertake the study. And you start to look at the donors and the, and the board members, you realize that a lot of these donors and board members, and in particular a lot of the scholars that are working in the think tanks, in some way or other benefit from their relationship with China. So what I realized when I was at the White House was this was happening not just with regard to this major think tank, but law firms all across the country, lobbying firms, PR firms, communication firms, all of these firms that are in many ways used by the Chinese Communist Party to influence our political process, and in turn, that affects our national security. The last to enter, escorted by members of the Joint Inaugural Committee, was Bill Clinton. They had figured Clinton as a comer when he was governor of Arkansas. So they, there was a Chinese restaurant across the street from the Arkansas state capitol. Um, Clinton, like many other people, likes his Chinese food, and he gets to be friends with this guy. And then when he gets to the White House, this guy comes with him and has a position of significant influence. They're good at this. They were setting these, these situations up in many state capitals. The Clinton administration was rife with influence from China. I can remember as a reporter going to the Pentagon for a background briefing on the People's Liberation Army. At the end of one of these briefings, a colonel came in and said, the general would like to see you. And the general was the head of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency and he told me that China was not a threat. I was shocked because uh, I could understand a political appointee or a, even a civilian intelligence official telling me that, but for the top military intelligence official to tell me that a nuclear-armed communist dictatorship in Beijing was not a threat to the United States really told me that China had been so successful in influencing the U.S. government that it had reached the highest levels of the U.S. military intelligence community. The NBA faces a major backlash this morning. The fact that the Chinese government 
can force the general manager of the Houston Rockets to walk back comment is actually frightening to me. Chinese government asked the league to fire Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey after he posted a pro Hong Kong tweet. You have companies like Disney. Disney is facing backlash for its live action remake of Mulan. Mulan's end credits thanking parts of the Chinese government that have been accused of human rights violations. You have companies who walk back comments when the Chinese communist government challenges them and threatens them because of comments they've made. The Gap apologized for selling t-shirts emblazoned with a map of China, not including Taiwan, South Tibet, or the South China Sea. 90% of what you hear in the news today is all driven by Chinese communist leadership. If you know how to connect the dots, is the Chinese Communist Party's behind it to completely destroy the free world, democracy, and with intent to fully take it over. One of the primary organizations is called the China United States Exchange Foundation. This is chaired and founded by one of the individuals who really oversees this united front effort. And this group has made overtures to journalists, former congressmen, uh, textbook review commissions, think tankers, and even academics and professors to really push a pro-Beijing line. Often they offer them trips to China uh, in exchange for either favorable coverage or disseminating positive messages about the Chinese government. Virtually every mainstream media outlet, all the way from CNN, Washington Post, the New York Times, down to even local news outlets, all expenses paid by the Chinese government. They've been taking out full pages in the Wall Street Journal, in the New York Times, and the Washington Post. And these look like regular news items, but they're in fact sourced for Xinhua, the Chinese news agency. And so they give the Chinese point of view. What the CCP is targeting are the most powerful voices in our society, be it the media or the government. Once tainted by the party, these institutions can then amplify the Chinese narrative and deliver it to American households. What is the CCP good at? Beat the Americans at their own game. Having watched us and studied us for decades, the party knows exactly where the pressure points are and who to target. Once these key figures are bribed or threatened, the CCP's real atrocities will stay in the dark. Compromise and silence bought us temporary gain, but it comes at a cost. The future of our children. The China-United States Exchange Foundation has even extended its reach into textbooks that are used at the kindergarten level. Uh, for over a decade now, they've carried out what's called the Tibet Factual Review, which is an effort to influence and really dictate uh, in its entirety the way that the issue of Tibet is covered in textbooks that are used in American classrooms. 
Time Magazine, which is one of these mainstream media outlets that also participated in these China-United States Exchange Foundation trips, years after sending journalists on these trips, they actually partnered with Huawei, which is of course a national security threat uh, as regarded by the United States, to launch a publication for children, specifically for use in classrooms. And the magazine was called Time for Kids. I am one of the few people on Wall Street that tries to understand the manner in which they're operating and also the incentives of all the players and then the proclivities of everyone that uh, wants to invest in and, and make a profit from China and then the, the very few that actually put morality in front of dollar signs. just uh, live with some genocide and live with some atrocities that are going on in Xinjiang and the forced live organ harvesting of the Falun Gong. The Tibetans and the Mongolians and ethnic Christians and Wall Street just doesn't care about that, right? They, they care about the next profit dollars. These stories are just the tip of the iceberg the Communist Party's ubiquitous spy network, the astronomical losses to its reckless intellectual property theft, the deadly drug fentanyl imported through the Mexican border, the devastating blow to American manufacturing, the CCP devouring American land, the censorship of Hollywood, and so on. All of these are pushing our country, our families, and our children toward the abyss. The Chinese government, uh, under the Thousand Talents program, attempts to recruit, very smartly, brilliant American scientists working on programs that benefit them. Now, in the case of the Harvard Dean of Biology right now, is under review by the FBI and the Department of Justice for actually running one such black laboratory in China. During the recent administration, the White House produced a report showing that uh, under uh, conciliatory policies towards Beijing, uh, the United States lost between 250 and 600 billion annually in technology that was stolen by the Chinese. No nation which relies on its technological base for so much of its economy can survive under that kind of loss. 95% of the fentanyl that comes in to the U.S. comes from China through Mexico. Now where they have been successful is in Hollywood. Uh, I have a friend who is so much an expert on Chinese films that the Chinese themselves ask him to come and talk to them about Chinese films. And he says unequivocally that Hollywood will not make a film that does not have the Chinese censors in mind. The secret of the CCP's unrestricted warfare is to first corrupt people's morality, then use the corrupted people to destroy America step by step. How many people have become tools in the CCP's war? The answer will eventually surface. What will the consequences be if we lose this ultimate battle with the Chinese communist regime? China will control United States of America. We are going to have this worry about our very civilization being ruined. We face the prospect of becoming a 
U.S. system with Chinese characteristics in the not-too-distant future. And a new generation of Americans will be trained to obey the CCP instead of defending our freedoms that were obtained at such great cost. And if you want to see how your children are going to be treated in 20 years, just look at how the genocide is going on right now with the Uyghurs, uh, the genocide and the live human organ transplants with the Falun Gong and with the Tibetans. The totalitarian rule of the Chinese Communist regime has always been accompanied by the use of crisis and fear. The development of the so-called China model is in fact a political monstrosity unprecedented in human history. Facial recognition technology cameras, the internet, and artificial intelligence are used to create a ubiquitous surveillance network. There are currently more than one billion surveillance cameras installed around the world, and more than half of these are in China. What would our lives be like if the Chinese communist model took control of America? They aim to create the ultimate totalitarian state, a digital totalitarian state, where everything is run by computer, where everybody has social credit scores, where everybody is tracked from cradle to grave, where your life is never your own. Everything you do is dictated by the party. The ultimate totalitarian state. And this should horrify everybody. When you have the social credit system being put together, the Great Firewall, 626 million surveillance cameras, and, and we're just seeing China go back to the worst excesses of the totalitarian period. It controls how people get their information, how people cross the road, how people buy things, and what people say every single word on the internet, how people move around. Every aspect of the Chinese ordinary citizen is subjected to a very rigid surveillance and control. Take over your freedom to be completely controlled by surveillance, by technology, uh, by punishment. To this day, there are still many governments who are buddies with the CCP falling for their lies and money traps, being in danger without realizing it. But what is the nature of the Chinese Communist regime? The nature of the Chinese Communist Party in terms of its internal workings is one that's even worse than the, the Soviet Union and its Communist Party. That is to say, it's even less transparent. It's even more insular. But the thing that I think is the defining characteristic is that it is zealously focused on every policy inside China and outside China being focused on China being the hegemon. I would describe the nature of the Communist Party of China as a basically a mafia type system. It's like a political mafia. It is going to corrupt everything it touches. It's going to destroy everything it can. It is going to take over everything it can. It is the most evil institution that has ever existed on this planet. There's one key fact that we have to keep 
always in the, in the back of our minds. We can never, can never forget. And that is, Chinese Communist Party has already killed 70 million, at least 70 million of its own citizens. We're talking about atrocities, crimes against humanity, genocide. We're talking about the worst uh, behavior of human history. The whole system is based on suppression and cruelty and tyranny. So the communists won't say, we're coming to overthrow and destroy your family. We're coming to overthrow your government. We're coming to destroy your religion. They will say, we're coming to give you more wealth. We're coming to help equality. We're coming to end oppression. Their whole philosophy is based on lying. And the Communist Party of China is a cancer on this planet. It's a leech. It's drawing resources and nutrients from all over the world to feed its megalomania, to feed its growth. So we have to cut off the nutrients because the Communist Party of China is parasitic. It cannot survive on its own. It's leeching off the Chinese people and now it wants to parasitize the whole planet. So we have to stop that happening. The CCP is not a party, uh, like a Democrat or a Republican. It's a cult. So the cult has the believing from the beginning to the end until the cult is totally disassembled. The Chinese Communist Party has hijacked the Chinese nationalism to pretend to represent the interests of the people, while in fact, the Chinese Communist Party is the enemy of the Chinese people. The Chinese Communist Party is not China, it is not the Chinese people. In fact, it is, a, it is an evil political regime that controls China and controls the Chinese people. And so when we talk about what an evil political regime does, we must always say, that's the Chinese Communist Party. For the first time in decades, we've seen a significant decline in American quality of life. American youth may be far worse off than their parents. Now just pause for a moment and think about all of the examples in history of tyrants, of empires, who were not well-intentioned when it came to human flourishing. The CCP is at the top of that terrible list. And what remains beautiful about the United States of America, in spite of our warts, in spite of our political challenges, is that we do represent, if you talk to anyone in the world, the last best hope, not just for Americans, but for freedom. And so for the United States to fail to confront the full scope and reality of the CCP and how they see this final war is not just to cause Americans to suffer, it's to cause people worldwide to suffer. Because if the United States can't prevail against the CCP, then no one can. In the heart of every soldier 
there's a dream of peace. Just as we study war, not for war, but for peace, for a free and beautiful America, a free and tranquil world. We grew up watching some of the most iconic war films of our time. And in most cases, there's a bright ending. Justice is served, the good is rewarded, and the bad is punished. I firmly believe the same will happen to this final war we find ourselves in. What's most urgent now is for the free world to unite and act before it's too late. Now that we've seen the Chinese communist regime for what it is, its lies and destructive power, the CCP is also not as strong as it seems. It is rather vulnerable. And with the party so set on internal power struggles, Beijing is slipping into a deeper crisis. But we face the greatest difficulty. I think the thorniest policy problem as we confront the CCP is disentangling China and the United States. If we look at the progress we've made so far, it is reassuring. Some of the Trump-era policies to contain the CCP continue under the Biden administration. In Washington, a series of bills targeting China's human rights issues and protecting U.S. intellectual property have been passed. But these measures are far from enough. It's time to see the Chinese communist regime as a real adversary. One, protect the American people, protect our institutions, protect our way of life. How do we do that? Well, we do that by getting the Chinese Communist Party out, out of our academic institutions, out of our political institutions, out of our corporate institutions, out of our financial institutions. We take them out of our system altogether. Now, we did this during the Cold War with the Soviet Union because we knew that they would use this connectedness to undermine our society and to grow their own power, which is exactly what the Chinese Communist Party is meant to do. So protect, protect by essentially decoupling from the Chinese Communist Party. Part two was rebuild. As we protect by decoupling from the Chinese Communist Party, we use that innovation, technology, talent, and capital that's no longer flowing to China to rebuild our own economy, our own infrastructure, our own manufacturing, and our own science and technology, and we protect our critical infrastructure and data. And then finally, if we do that, if we protect and we rebuild, the American people will prosper. Jobs will come back. We begin to inspire again, and that's really the heart of America's foreign policy is to be so good at providing for the American people, to provide them the kind of life that any human wants to live, to lift up the human spirit. When you do that, other nations begin to realize that, ah, freedom, liberty, rule of law, free trade, civil liberties, human rights, these are what define a society, a successful society, a thriving society, not one-party rule not authoritarianism or totalitarianism, not brutalization of your population, not forced organ harvesting or genocide, but liberty, the four freedoms 
the things that we used to enjoy, these are the things that will inspire other nations to want to be like this. The way the individual American can partake in this in ways that defeat the CCP is to stop buying anything from China, made in China. But the second thing is, and this is crucial, we have to put political pressure on our elected officials that at the top of their political program is to disentangle America's economy, America's politics from the CCP. That's the first step in doing this. The good news is, if we can do that, the CCP's total war strategy hinges upon being able to use our own systems, our own politics against us. If they don't have that, then they're going to lose the war. It's incumbent upon the United States, therefore, every American to recognize the threat in front of us and how much it affects our individual lives. They can boycott Chinese products, communist Chinese products, to the maximum degree, which will help every dollar you send to China is going to buy a bullet to, to fire at your troops. Never buy any Chinese technology. Realize every piece of Chinese technology, whether it's an appliance, whether it's software, hardware, network, um, apps, realize that those are all weaponized technologies and weaponized to collect information and to use that information against you, whether it's this year, next, next year, or in the next five years. No matter where we are in the political spectrum, it's time for all Americans to wake up to our common goal. The good times are ahead if we work side by side to confront and defeat this greatest adversary. It doesn't take a military force to see tyranny fall. Yet what should we bring to China and the Chinese people after this confrontation? It's really important in American policy that we focus on the Chinese Communist Party, which is a minuscule fraction of the Chinese people, and to give them hope that up to this point in history, every tyrannical government has eventually been defeated. We're on the side of the Chinese people. We're both enemies of the Chinese Communist Party. Whether they be Americans or Chinese people, that the United States of America stands with every person on this planet because our creator designed us to be free. Get to the truth. Publish everywhere and including in throughout China and get the truth out to all the Chinese people about the genocide, uh, the Uyghurs, the, the Falun Gong, the Tibetans, the forced human organ transplants, all those type of things. Just get the truth out, blanket the world with the truth on the Chinese Communist Party. At the Epic Times, We've been getting the truth out through thick and thin for 20 years. With all our efforts in shattering the lies of the Chinese communist regime, this documentary is worth sharing to every corner of the world. The truth needs to be told. Today, the Chinese regime and the world were at a crossroads of destiny. The 1.4 billion people in mainland China are struggling to survive this brutal tyranny. They also need to find the courage to cut themselves off from the authoritarian regime. There is a real power in confronting reality. When we confront reality, that's when the divine help comes in.
It only took one night for the powerful Soviet regime to collapse. We believe when the whole world sees the true color of the CCP, its demise can happen just as fast. The people of China would have toppled that oppressive regime and we would have had a free China. We would have had a China where religion can prosper, where people are free, where all that culture and history would have been used to benefit mankind. The rise of communist China largely stems from the decline in human morality. When the pursuit of profit blinded the eyes of wisdom. In the face of evil, we need to regain moral courage, restore traditional values, and strengthen our faith. Our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness depend on it. The founding of this country depends on it. A country made for a moral people. Our founding fathers firmly believed that God's will is manifest in the actions of the American people. And that spirit has made our nation strong and prosperous for more than 200 years. This final war will be our choice for justice, the salvation of human civilization, and the dawn of a new day.